Welcome to TFL's Capital Connection, your insider source for both the policy work and the ministry going on at the Iowa Capitol on the issues that affect your life. My name is Drew Zahn, Director of Communications here. We've got three guests with us today. Chuck Hurley, who is a longtime veteran and lobbyist, policy wonk up at the Capitol. Old. Old gray beard. <laughs> we have Ryan Ben, not nearly as gray of beard, um, who is our Director of Policy. And a special guest this week as well, Denise Bubeck who works with the Church Ambassador Network. She is deputy director thereof. Um, and we are talking today. We have quite a show for you. We are talking the good, the bad, and the ugly. And no, that is not a reference to our three guests. <laughs> um, of well, maybe two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even... Which, who's claiming which one of those titles? Well, no, no. I'll take the ugly. Yeah, well, actually, I'm going to give you the bad uh, title, Chuck. You are, you are a bad man up at the Capitol. <laughs> Denise uh, is definitely the good. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yes. And Ryan, not ugly of, of stature, but he is bringing the ugly of story to yeah. us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes the Capitol uh, is not quite as civil a place as we would expect it to be. And this last week, we definitely saw some ugliness. And firsthand in that was Ryan. Ryan, I want you to just share with our listeners, uh, basically just what did you see? Help them to understand the intensity uh, that TFL has to wade into sometimes at the Iowa Capitol. Sure. Yeah. So I was minding my own business, actually, to, to start with on Wednesday. We were, me and Chuck were up in the crow's nest talking about what bills we're going to testify on. And I, I head down 10 minutes early to get to my first subcommittee I was going to testify at. And there was a crowd of about 200, um, I don't know what you call them, LGBTQ, blah, 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 uh, protesters. Um, they were chanting uh, extremely loud all outside the room where I was going to be testifying at. And I'm 10 minutes early with the door shut. There's a big crowd in front of it. It looks like they haven't opened the doors yet. And so I'm just kind of waiting around, trying not to get a headache. And... Uh, you know, about 10 minutes after the meeting's supposed to start, it's been 20 minutes of their chanting now. Um, I try to start getting in the room and, you know, try to uh, kind of sneak my way up there. But they've got uh, a lady guarding the door who was part of the mob. And she is letting people in and out of the room. So when someone gets done testifying, they come out, she would let one of her people go in the room. And they kind of had a like a blockade set up of sorts with people ready to testify. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I uh, trying to wait my turn, be polite. Um, Usually 10 minutes early is enough to get in the room, but this, this time it wasn't. And it took like 45 minutes for me to even just get close enough to like challenge the fact that, hey, you're getting all the speakers. We haven't even had one yet. <laughs> and um, it eventually got in the room, but uh, it, it, it wasn't pleasant. I, I ended the day with a headache. I didn't end up getting to testify. It was just kind of a crazy scene. Okay, so it's not uncommon that we see people up at the Capitol exercising First Amendment rights, uh, yeah. being a part of testifying large groups of crowds interested in a particular bill. What was the bill that was, was getting this much attention? It was about um, gender identity being in the Iowa Civil Rights Code. Um, so the bill would have removed it as a protected class, but it would have classified it as a uh, disability, like a mental disability which uh, they didn't take very kindly to. <laughs> they, were, they were pretty worked up. They were excited. Um, and so, yeah, they were, they were fired up. They were chanting like when someone with a different point of view was speaking, they would be chanting so loud that they couldn't hear, and then they would all hush themselves when uh, one of their speakers got up. But it was, it was yeah. a crazy deal. So I'm going to interject here and just remind our listeners that, yes, the First Amendment is a hallowed right, the right of free speech, Yet there are some time, place, and manner restrictions that are appropriate. Let me give you an example. 
let's say there's a committee meeting going on and the legislators are debating a bill and I, Chuck Hurley, as a citizen, want to be heard. So I come in and I interrupt the committee meeting and start shouting and getting up on the committee table and jumping and yelling and throwing things. I can be escorted out even though supposedly we have a right to free speech. No, no, no. You can't have a heckler's veto. The U.S. Supreme Court has said the First Amendment doesn't allow you to shut up others by exercising your First Amendment rights. So there's time, place, and manner restrictions that are legit. Those did not happen, and Ryan had his First Amendment rights taken away by this mob. And that really is what distinguishes this event on Wednesday from what we do see occasionally up at the Capitol. And what, what distinguishes it there is we had a person in Ryan who is actually asked and invited to come testify. The legislators in the room specifically wanted to hear from Ryan and the mob mentality, the group at the door, basically barring him from entering and ultimately succeeding. The legislature says, I want to hear testimony. And the crowd shut down the legislators' wishes, the subcommittee's purposes, and, as you mentioned, Ryan's free speech rights to be a part of that process. And I get stuck outside you know, with the chanting, trying not to get a headache, and I, I think I accidentally misgendered somebody, and they got upset with me. And so I'm, I'm just, I was just doing my best. But uh, <laughs> I, got, I, I think it was a guy with the green hair. Anyway, I, I called him him. Um, he, he challenged me on that. So it was, it was quite the experience. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some of you, I hope when you're hearing this, I, I hope you're hearing, hey, I am glad that the family leader there is there taking this fire because uh, I might not be quite so polite, civil uh, in similar circumstances. <laughs> well, and the positive is Ryan and Danny and I were able to testify about 20 times the last two weeks. This was the one time I think that we were stopped from doing that. So we are able to get our listeners' voices heard most of the time. All right, Chuck, pulling us back to the good side of the good, bad, and ugly. And, yes, let's talk about uh, the good side of good, bad, and ugly. Uh, and that is a couple other bills going on up at the legislature right now. And, you know, we've had the Church Ambassador Network in here before talking about bringing pastors up at the Capitol, ministering. Um, however, there's also an opportunity for pastors to speak into the legislative process, the policies that are being enacted. And Denise, uh, you were involved with the Church Ambassador Network on a couple of bills. Um, I'll let you go with either one you'd like to talk about, but uh, a couple that we were uh, working together on for the betterment of Iowa. Right. Thank you, Drew. Yes, we had a great week last week. We got to weigh in on the chaplaincy bill. It's a school chaplaincy bill that they're working on in the House and in the Senate. And we did have three pastors come up who are living, doing chaplaincy right now without the chaplaincy bill. And they got to, we got to show the relevancy of the church, (laughs) sorry, Um, doing that work, that great work. And it was so neat to hear them share um, in the subcommittees. Didn't you think, Chuck? It was great. And those chaplains who have been doing this work for years and years and years were able to give uh, poignant stories. So it helps to tell stories. I have to just interject quickly. My pastor heard about this chaplaincy bill just four hours before the subcommittee, which is somewhat typical. During the milieu of funnel week or leading up to funnel week, subcommittees get called on short notice. So anyway, he comes running up to the Capitol. He comes in the room, and 
the chairman of the subcommittees do their work differently. You never know who they're going to call on first. Well, they happened to call on my pastor first. <laughs> he just came in there, didn't really know what the bill was about. He just knew he should be there. And so he kind of stammered through it. But the good part is he said, Chuck, you got to call me when these subcommittees are coming up because you guys are, you know, fighting the good fight and I want to be there to support you. And I want to speak to these issues because I know a lot about chaplain work. So, so it was, it was cool. It was daunting. And the fight in the chaplaincy subcommittees in the house and the Senate was vicious. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were being called names and saying we were going to lead kids into suicide and all kinds of horrific things. If we have chaplains in the schools, I mean, it's just crazy how polarized the spiritual debate is at the Capitol right now. Very polarized. But anyway, the good news is Denise had some of her friends. You go ahead. Yeah, and they got to share. I mean, it was so neat because they shared the benefits. They shared the benefits of having the chaplains there for the the staff, not just for the students. And they shared how they, you know, affect, help families. They shared the lived experience that they're doing. And I think that was so helpful to the legislators. Um, I... I was impressed by their quick response. Like you say, it happened so quick, and we were able to pull together three really good stories um, that fast, and they were willing to do it. We talked a lot about how they um, teacher retention. The staff is retains better when there's chaplains there. We talked about how the school board is approves these chaplains. So not just talking about... Um, the, how they talked about it from the other side was that it would be so, like you said, detrimental, but just telling the truth of it, it was so helpful. Yeah, I want to zero in on what you said there. Uh, you used the word lived experience. You know, when I, uh, at the Capitol, they're looking at pieces of paper that say, well, theoretically, this law would do this. Theoretically, this law would do that. And one of the real benefits of having pastors up at the Capitol is pastors are community representatives. They see neighbors' lives probably better than we do. Uh, they see the difficulties and the struggles and the people trying to overcome in their communities. And when they recognize, hey, this bill or this idea, this is going to impact the people in my church or in my community or my neighborhood, and I know exactly how, and I know exactly you know, the benefits and the potential pitfalls uh, of doing things this way, they bring that lived experience up to the capital. There's a phrase used in a lot of these subcommittees called the parade of horribles. And this is where the opponents of the bills say that this bill is going to just create all kinds of bad things like kids killing themselves and, and uh, kids being forced to submit to a worldview or religion that violates their conscience. And in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act subcommittees, the parade of horribles was massive. They went on for minutes and minutes about how terrible this would be. And the great thing was, you talk about lived experience. We had lawyers from all over the country testifying on religious freedom restoration. And 34 states have this, and the federal government has this, and those parade of horribles have not happened in any of those states or in federal court cases. And so it's just good to have experts there or pastors who are experts mm -hmm. in chaplaincy uh, debunking the parade of horribles. 
You've touched upon the, the bad of the good, bad, and ugly. Is is all of the bad testimony, all of the yeah. uh, and so forth. And and I want to stay right there for just a minute, Chuck, because because you kind of segued right into what was going to be ma- one of our major topics today, which is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that we have been working on the family leader for years and years. Thirteen years. Yeah, thirteen years. Th- thirteen years. You mentioned other states have this. Federal government has had this. Uh, Iowa does not. Currently, um, and you hear the horror stories, the parade of horribles, etc. But we're seeing some new movement. I, I guess Chuck, I'm, I'm going to tease it there. Talk to us hey, first of all. Let folks know in summary what is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and then talk about its current progress. This bill actually is well named. It is to restore religious freedom that was taken away in 1990. For over 100 years in the United States, the First Amendment had a hallowed recognition that the right to religious liberty was as good as the right to free speech, the right to freedom of the press, the right to freely assemble and petition your government for redress of grievances. But suddenly in 1990, the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, religious liberty is a putsy little not special right at all. And the very liberal United States Congress, led by Chuck Schumer and Ted Kennedy, uh, immediately passed a Religious Freedom Restoration Act for federal cases, and liberal President Bill Clinton signed it. It was near unanimous in the House and Senate. And it was just recognized that the First Amendment was what it said it was. These are, these are special rights. Yeah, and sometimes doing the right thing doesn't care what jersey you're wearing. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So for federal cases, it was restored quickly from 1990 to 1993. But then states were told in 1997 by the U.S. Supreme Court that they had to have their own state RIFRA, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, for state cases. Well, so now 34 states have done that. Unfortunately, Iowa is not one of them. So here we are. We treat in Iowa, sadly, um, religious liberty as a putsy little not important right. And that's just wrong. Yeah. So that's the bad. And, and religious liberty is a controversial issue. So it hits the courts fairly frequently. Yeah. And you see that all across the country, like the, the bake shop case out in Colorado. Yep. And we've seen cases here in Iowa. Um, and, and without Religious Freedom Restoration Act those religious liberties get treated among the various liberties like second-class citizens yeah, uh, and other uh, rights get to trample them. Mm-hmm. Um, and having a religious freedom restoration act restores uh, religious liberty as a core right. Uh, and, and again, something we say around here all the time is we talk about the distinction between your uh, religious liberty when it comes to worship or religious liberty when it comes to life and practice. Mm-hmm. Religious liberty is not just something you get to exercise on Saturday night or Sunday morning or whenever your church or, or synagogue or temple is meeting uh, within those walls. It's something that our founders guaranteed, our Constitution guarantees, state of Iowa ought to guarantee uh, that you can live and practice your faith uh, Monday through Monday. Uh, in in inside of church and out. That's right. And where does that bill stand right now? So for 13 years, we have been stymied at the Iowa legislature on RIFRA, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, for Iowa cases. This year, we are making tremendous progress. 
It has come out of the House and Senate subcommittees. It's come out of full committee in the Senate. It has the support of the Senate Majority Leader. It has the support of the House Majority Leader. And we think this is the year to get it done. So tremendous progress. Um, but the opponents of it continue to parade their supposed horribles as things that might happen, which haven't happened in the other 34 states. All right. Uh, Denise, uh, did you also want to talk about the mom's bill and the, the opportunity for pastors to impact that? Yes. She nods. Yes. Good. Yes, Glad yes, to hear yes, it. Yes, yes, so sorry. let's, uh, let's, let's go back to some yes. more good. Uh, yes. what's going on with moms? Well, we had a good week with that. The mom's bill, I think passed out of both subcommittees in the house and the Senate. Um, the Senate bill, the Senate side, the subcommittee, we had Ruth Harbor came and testified Chris Eller the director of Ruth Harbor. And it was so good because there again, we did, I don't want to use the word too much, but life experience with sharing all the good things that Ruth Harbor does. For what moms. is Ruth Harbor? For those Ruth familiar? Harbor is a uh, maternity home. It is for moms that um, want to live there during the time that they are pregnant. And so it's just a neat um ministry that Chris Eller does and his team at Ruth Harbor. Yeah, it's good to recognize. I often talk about the Church Ambassador Network, and I refer to the pastors involved. But the reality is there are Christian ministries that are engaged as well, uh, and, and others who are reaching out with the love of Christ to folks. Uh, Ruth Harbor helping women, often women in crisis situations, where to carry through that, that, that pregnancy in that situation where they're in, maybe with their family, maybe with their housing, would be potentially dangerous to them and or the baby. Um, and Ruth Harbor gives a harbor, gives mm -hmm. a, a place of refuge to these to these women in need. And of course, moms, we talk about that bill, stands for more options for maternal support. It's a bill that was designed to make it more available for women to be able to use services like Ruth yes. Harbor or our crisis pregnancy centers that are offering uh, classes and resources and, and supplies and, and just ways to get healthy moms, healthy babies. Right. One of the most powerful testimonials, it was now two weeks ago, was from uh, someone in Dubuque. There's a maternity home in Dubuque, and that maternity home sticks with the mom and the baby for up to six years right. after the baby is born. And so just the tremendous wraparound services, the tremendous care and compassion that PRCs, Pregnancy Resource Centers, can bring to people in times of crisis is something of beauty that with the state and especially our governor want to highlight and support. She actually talked about PRCs in her Condition of the State Address a year ago and how we need the mom's bill to really boost what these great, vol mostly volunteers are doing throughout the state and throughout and the country. So, and so many times what we talk about in the Church Ambassador Network is that people need an advocate. They need someone to walk alongside them in a period of crisis to get uh, We just don't want to offer relief. We want to help them to rehabilitate, to develop them, to, and sometimes that's what these PRCs do so well. So many of them, like you say, Chuck, they'll walk alongside for a year, up to six years, they're just willing to be there with these moms. And so we were able to highlight that with Ruth Harbor, and I think that was a really positive in that subcommittee. 
Yeah, the MOMS program passed originally a couple years ago, but still in need of refinement. So we can make that more accessible, more available to more moms mm-hmm. <laughs> in need of maternal yes. support. Yeah, I want to thank you for listening to this week's edition of TFL's Capital Connection. For more on The Family Leader, check out our website, thefamilyleader.com, or check us out on social media on Twitter, or X as they call it now, at Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a project of the Family Leader and the Family Leader Foundation and is only possible through the generous support of our donors. If you would like to partner with us in our work, please visit thefamilyleader.com slash give.